The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. To set some context for this series, uh, major messages from the minor prophets. They're called minor prophets, not because they're not important, it's because they're short. They're, what they write about in the Bible is two or three pages as opposed to the major prophets that sometimes have 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 pages. Uh, we, uh, somebody was talking about for the service that we said, we hope that these messages from the minor prophets are profitable to you. With prophets, though, uh, there are some kinds of experiences you have with people that are helping you. And like a counselor, a consultant, they sit down with you at, at Starbucks and they have a triple soy foam latte. And we have a conversation. And we talk. And it's wonderful and beautiful. That's not what a prophet does. A prophet's more like a coach in a football field that grabs the guy by the shoulder pad and says, Hey, look, pal. Get out there and do that again. Because if you keep messing up like that, not only are you going to get hurt, you're going to hurt people on this team. Come on. So there's an edge and intensity to it. So just letting you know that today, this is not, uh, for the next few weeks, it will not be quiet, calm, hmm sensitive kind of stuff. It's, it, it deals with some pretty provocative stuff. It uses a lot of provocative imagery. Uh, it reminded me of a, just a quick, a quick story here to set some context for this. Uh, did, I have did done a, a bit of marriage counseling over the years uh, with, with people. And there was this couple long before Crosspoint was here, a church I was at, uh, the, a story. Uh, and this couple came in there in their early 30s, like I could tell, I got some notes here to make sure I don't get the names wrong and stuff like that. They've been married for six, seven, eight years. We don't know for sure how long. Um, and so I said, well, just tell me your story. Because it was clear when they walked in, there was stuff going on. And you could just tell stuff is going on here. But rather than just jump into the problem, I said, just tell me your story. How'd you guys get together? And so the dude, we'll call him Jeff. That's not his name because, you know, for privacy and all that stuff. It was a pretty dicey story. Uh, he was a single guy. He was uh, just growing in his faith, and a, a ministry thing he was involved in was involved in helping uh, in, in the sex trafficking areas of their town to go in there and try to rescue people out of there, to confront the men, to challenge men, to talk with people there. And so he got involved in that, and he uh, went down to what they called the district, the red light area, stuff like that. Um, and there was a girl there that he met and just started talking to her. Not to do anything, just find out the story. Found out her story. At 17, she had left home. Call her Kelly. Um, she wanted freedom, do what she wanted. She ended up in L.A., which is where this all happened. Um, she ran out of money, and she met some men who offered to help. And I'll spare you the story, but the help came at a price, of course, and uh, and she was pretty, and they'd buy her nice things, and they'd take her out. And then, after a while, this group called The Outfit always took half. They took half of whatever she brought in, and she didn't want the pretty woman life, but what could she do? At times, times he said, as he was telling the story, it was amazing for her, and as he learned the story, it was amazing. And at times, it was terrifying. It, had, it was a big, big mix of all that, but she was trapped and no way else to survive. And as Jeff kept going down to this area, he would see her more and more. And he got to know her, heard more of her story. And in, in different unguarded moments, she would talk about this idea of all the things she used to make fun of. That was stupid and dumb and lame, like being a mom and a wife. And having a stable life again. She talked about this 
stuff that she had some background in this area of like IT and tech stuff where she was good at it. But she thought, well, if I ever going to do any of that stuff again? And she had this one, what if, and I wonder if it's ever going to happen for me. And so sometimes Jeff would see her down there, sometimes not. And it was weird. There's this strange, he was strangely drawn to her, not to sleep with her, not to be involved. There was no physical stuff that had happened at all yet, but just there was this kind of weird connection. Uh, long story short, as he told the story that day in my office, he fell in love with her. She kind of fell in love with him too. It was almost like one of those weird movies that you see like, is this really true? And uh, the tricky part was though the outfit kind of owned her. And so it was like, well, how do we get her off the street without her getting in trouble or whatever? And so he uh, met the guys that were in charge of this outfit. And he asked how much how much to get her out of this? And they sat and chatted for about 30 seconds, and they said, $200,000. Now, the cool thing about Jeff, in some ways, is he wasn't wealthy, but he had wealthy grandparents who put money in a trust for him when he was younger. And the whole deal was, you get through college and get your degree, 3.5 GPA. And he wasn't like ridiculous wealth, but he had some money now that was in the bank and some 401ks and some foundational things that he it was his now that he could have access to at some point. And so he walked outside, got on the phone, and he figured out a way to get the money. He had to pay penalties and early withdrawals and all that kind of thing. And, um, and so he got her off the street. <laughs> and then he brought her home to mom and dad. Imagine that conversation and tell, tell them the story of how you, how'd you guys meet and all that fun kind of stuff. Uh, and that was interesting. They got married four months later. They got married four months later, and they were happy. A year and a half later, she got pregnant. And then another year after that, another year after that, they had, they had three kids, and things were going good. And so I kept thinking, okay, so why are we here? Things seem all like, what's going on? But you could clearly tell there was this, you could feel it in the room. And Kelly spoke up, and she said, I, I cheated on him. And before she could take another breath, she said three times that I know of, she cheated on me. And he was, uh, he said it was weird at the beginning, you know, it was just, looking back on it, she'd be gone for work and gone at stuff and I would try to find out where she was and she would always evasive answers. At the beginning, he didn't think much about it and then it was just weird, their relationship was getting weird and She'd be gone more. And they said, one time it was like 2 o'clock in the morning and a cop buddy of his, he called him and he said, hey, can you help me out? I get, I'm worried about her. It's 2 in the morning. I can't find her. Don't know where she is. And the cop figured out some things and figured out where she was. And she was at a club. And they walked into the club. It was crowded, loud, noisy, and all that kind of stuff. And he couldn't looked around and couldn't find her. And then he looked down a hallway. And then he saw her. And he just was rage and and he got his phone out and he took a picture of her and I'll spare you the details, you know, what he told me that day of what was going on and he sent her a text and he just said with that picture I know and then for four months later she turned off location service, he couldn't find her, he didn't know where she was, he's got three kids at home that are their kids trying to figure out what in the world is going on, this kept, and he couldn't figure out what was going on and four and a half months later he got a call like at 230 in the morning, and they said, Mr., and he gave his last name, and he said, yeah. He said, um, 
we have your wife here in the ER. She's in a coma. She's unconscious, bruised and bloodied and battered and all that kind of stuff. It was a couple hundred miles away. It's why he couldn't find her. They outfitted, relocated her. And so he said he sat there for eight days at her bedside while she was still in this unconscious state. And then she woke up. And she was disoriented, and then she saw him, and there's like, like almost like in a movie kind of thing, or just tears, and I'm so sorry, and and it was heartbreaking. He took her back, and then he said, I've, again, this, I'm summarizing today, happened two more times, he says, that I know of, because I have pictures of stuff, and I have no idea what she's telling me the truth or not the truth, but it kept happening, and the friends and family kept telling me, counselors, pastors, leaders, just said, cut her loose, cut her loose, cut her loose. You'll be done with her. He says, the crazy thing is, I'm not sure I'm here to get her fixed or if I'm here to get me fixed because I just can't let her go. I can't let her go. And like the little screenshot said earlier, if you guys paid attention to it, this story I'm telling you today is a fictional story based on how the book of Hosea would be happening in modern times today. A guy gets told, it's a guy, you'll see the title on your note sheet today, a pastor and a priest. <laughs> pastor, a pastor and a priest. A pastor and a prostitute. God tells this guy, go, go down to the play, get that, rescue that girl out of prostitution, marry her, build a life with her, and she keeps cheating on him. She's unfaithful to him. Uh, it's, this is a story, uh, we were talk, chatting about it before, this is a story you really don't tell children in Sunday school, there's no veggie tales for this, you know, Hosea and the hoe, you know, <laughs> you're not going to do that, there's no coloring books for this stuff, that's why Rob said earlier, hey, just me, if there's little kids in here, I don't want little kids in here today, um, it's a crazy story, and we've just read the first few bits of it to know kind of what happened. What this story is going to teach us, though, tell us some things about how God feels about us, how God feels about sin, and then how God feels about us even when we jack the whole thing up. And even when we're, to use the analogy here, when we commit adultery on him and we cheat on him with the world, with idolatry, with with that kind of thing. Uh, There's different... uh, ways the Bible talks about our relationship with him. Sometimes it talks about the fact that we are citizens of God's kingdom. We were in the kingdom of darkness, and he's rescued us from darkness, and he's brought us in the kingdom of his son. So we're citizens of a new kingdom. Sometimes it talks about the idea that God's like the boss or the CEO, and we, we work for him. And it's, he's, a great, he's a great king, and he's a great master, and great boss, and there's benefits, and it's awesome, and it's amazing. Uh, there's other places it talks about different analogies. The main one that it talks about a relationship with God, personally for you and me, is father and child. That God's our father. Over and over again, he's got, I'm your father and you're, my, you're my, my, my son, you're my daughter. That's the personal nature of our relationship with him. But also the Bible, from time to time, is going to use this marriage relationship to not so much talk about our personal relationship, like we're married to God personally, because I heard that when I was growing up, going to church, and like we're like the bride of Christ. And I went, I don't want to be the bride of Christ. That just seems weird, like all the... Ah! He said, it's not the idea. It's the idea. I'm going to write this down. 
Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 talks about this. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it tells us that the marriage relationship is paralleled in our relationship with God. In Ephesians 5, he says, as, at third verse 31, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. It's a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So he's saying, look, the nature of the marriage relationship also tells you something about your relationship with God. And it's more this idea of collectively, the Bible is going to call us, as, as collectively, we're the bride of Christ, that Jesus is the groom and we're the bride and we're into this. Write it down this way. It's this idea of unbreakable covenant love. Unbreakable covenant love that God has with us. And he calls us, he sees us out there on Sin Street, and he calls us out of that. He says, you're a mess, you're, you're terrible. And he calls us out of that life of unfaithfulness and calls us to himself off of that street uh, out of covenant love. And then what the Bible tells us over and over again is that when God calls the nation of Israel to him to be my chosen people, he says, you're my bride. He says, over and over and over again, just got to read the Old Testament. The point of the Old Testament is to show us that God does crazy things to call people out to himself, and over and over again, they're unfaithful. Today, the church of Jesus Christ, us, we are now God's chosen people. We're the bride of Christ, and guess what's true about us? Unfaithful, over and over and over again. And we get here in this uh, book of Hosea an illustration of how God not, feels not just about us, but how God feels about sin. And when the Bible talks about sin, it's one of, it's one of those words that doesn't get used a lot in our culture anymore, but, but sin is like this idea of we missed the mark, that we fell short. Like there's a standard up here and we couldn't get over it. And sometimes it's not we didn't fall short. It's God put a line out there and said, don't cross that. And we went, and we did that. So we crossed the line. There's different analogies that it uses to talk about that. Sometimes this idea that we have a debt that we were in debt to God because we messed up and we screwed up and we have this debt that we cannot pay and so Jesus pays it for us. Um, but one of the ways the Bible is going to talk about it when it talks about our relationship with God like we're his bride collectively is this idea that sin, write this down, it's not just being bad, it's betrayal. It's betrayal. And when we think about betrayal, there's different, have you guys have been betrayed? Like, right, if you've been in middle school, in high school, uh, in, in friendship places, you've been betrayed by people. Somebody turns, a friend turns, a coworker turns their back on you, or they gossip about you, they slander you. You've been betrayed like that. Sometimes there's betrayal, like financial betrayal or business betrayal. I know some people who here who are in businesses and got totally screwed over by a business, they got betrayed by a business partner. When you talk about betrayal at the adultery level in a marriage relationship, that's probably the most raw, gut-wrenching, awful kind of betrayal you can imagine. And some of you know this not just by knowing about it from other people. Some of you know it by experience. Some of you cheated on people. Some of you cheat, You were cheated on, cheated on. And there's no words for this. There's James chapter 4, verse 4. We're going to put the, the, the verses up here on the screen because James talks about this. And he's going to tell us in James 4, verse 4. <laughs> he says, You adulterers, not you sinners, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world 
makes you an enemy of God. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. He said you're committing adultery on God when you, when you make someone or something else ultimate in your life besides God. And so he's, he's telling us here that uh, you can write this down if you want how God feels about sin. Sin is not just being bad, it's betrayal. And it's betrayal at the, at the most gut-wrenching, awful way you can imagine. You can imagine if you found out your spouse cheated on you, here's the emotions of betrayal. Both the emotions of betrayal in the marital realm and the emotions that God feels about us when we betray him, when we cheat on him. You can write this down. It's heartbreak and rage. It's, it's great sadness and heartbreak. And in the I'm, Guys, I'm, I've sat in my, that office. I get the front row to human misery and suffering sometimes doing what I do. And I've sat there with people who had that happen. And you watched, you, you, you listened to the, the gut-wrenching sorrow that goes from sorrow and just whatever to like rage. I want to kill that person. Or just, it's just the, the anger and the rage. It's all kind of there together. And God said, this is the emotion that God has towards it. When we cheat on him, when we are unfaithful to him, he says, not just, oh, you know what? Sorry, you tried hard. Go take time out. Mm, pat you on the head. It's heartbreak and rage that he feels. And you can see it here in Hosea. Some examples of this. We're going to go through some of these. I want to encourage you guys, bring your own Bibles to church. And if you don't have a Bible, use one of ours. Get one of those Bibles out so that you can take notes on stuff. You can circle, highlight, and underline things. If you don't have a Bible that's yours right now, that's our gift to you. Take that home tonight and make that yours. If you want a really great Bible, check our lost and found because people have left great Bibles here. (laughs) You can get a really nice leather bound one. (laughs) He already... When Rob read it, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Go marry a prostitute. Some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel, and now not, not ancient Israel, but how modern-day Israel, the church of Jesus Christ, has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. If we make someone or something else. Look, sin, the ultimate thing is not just the behaviors that we do where we do this bad thing or do that wrong thing. At the core of it, it's what makes someone or something else ultimate to us. We make someone or something, whether it's sex and pleasure, whether it's money and success, whatever it might be, make someone or something else ultimate. And then you can see it in, in chapter 6. And we're not going to be able to read through this in detail. I encourage you to get your own Bibles out and read through this yourself. In Hosea 6, verse 6, he says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. He said, you're going through all the motions of being married to me. What you're doing over here, here's what, it's, what spiritual adultery is. It's not like I'm not leaving you, God. You, God, I'm a Christian. I love you. I worship you. I go to church. I do all that kind of stuff. I just want some side action over here. I want a little thing on the side over here. Like, what's the big, what's the big problem with that? Uh, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Worshiping foreign gods has sapped their strength, but they don't even know it. Their hair is grave. They don't realize they're old and weak. They think they're all hot and cool and sexy and everything else. They're a joke. They're a mess. Their arrogance testifies against them, yet they don't return to the Lord their God or even try to find him. Verse 16. They look everywhere except to the Most High. They are as useless as a crooked bow. Their leaders will be killed by their enemies because of their insolence toward me. Then the lead pe- lead people of Egypt will... Laugh at them. Chapter 10, verse 1. How prosperous 
Israel is. You might want to say how prosperous the church of Jesus Christ in America is today. I mean, think about what we have here. It's crazy how prosperous we are. A luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. But the richer the people got, the more pagan altars they build. The more bountiful their harvest, the more beautiful their sacred pillars. God says, look, all the things that I did, I do for you. Instead of taking it and loving me and thanking me for it and worshiping for it, you take it and you turn all that, re- the blessing I give you, and you go have some side thing over here going on with someone else. That's not just a marriage thing that's going on. He says, look, you have, you, you've made someone or something else ultimate to you. You have a, a, another God that's really not God. Sure, you say I'm your God, and you maybe have one little, th- but I'm sharing that throne with your little side hustle thing going on over here. Chapter 13. Verses 4 to 6. I have been the Lord your God ever since I brought you out of Egypt. You must acknowledge no God but me, for there is no other Savior. I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot about me. There's a verse on your notes in Deuteronomy. We're not going to actually read it today. I want to encourage you to go look at that. God's going to tell us over and over again, one of the biggest threats to your faith is when things get too good and too easy. Because we get casual and just go, oh, you know, it's no big deal. I can just let a little, little thing kind of get, get in there. About the same time Hosea is writing this, there's another prophet. His name is Ezekiel. So flip over to Ezekiel. It's a few pages to the left. He's called one of the major prophets because he wrote more and has more there. Um, Ezekiel has some stuff in it <laughs> that I'm not going to read in mixed company today because it is so graphic. It's like rated R, almost NC-17, like, that's in the Bible. Some of you are going to go, I'm going to read my Bible more. <laughs> um, but Ezekiel, chapter 16, the first 13 verses, God's telling the story of, hey, you were a mess. You were a skanky, ugh, gross, and I saved you. And I got you out of that mess and I rescued you and I've made you beautiful and you're prosperous and successful and all that here. And then look what he says in verse 14. Your fame soon spread throughout the world because of your beauty. I dressed you in my splendor and perfected your beauty, says the sovereign Lord. But you thought your fame and your beauty were your own. So you gave yourself as a prostitute to every man who came along. Your beauty was theirs for the asking. Use the lovely things I gave you to make shrines for idols where you could play the prostitute. Unbelievable. How could such a thing ever happen? Look at verse 30 to 33. And I'm skipping the really graphic, nasty stuff. Read, read this stuff. Read 16 and 23. He says in verse 30, What a sick heart you have, says the sovereign Lord, to do such a thing as these, acting like a shameless prostitute. You build your pagan shrines in every street corner and your altars to idols in every square. In fact, you have been worse than a prostitute, so eager for sin that you have not even demanded payment. He says, here's what's happening. So we look at that and go, they make shrines back then. They would go to the, we don't make the shrines anymore. We have idols of our heart. We have things that there that capture our hearts. And here's the crazy thing is, at the beginning, it's wild and amazing. And wow, it's fantastic. And then after a while, like they just use us and abuse us and beat us up. He said, you keep going back to them. He says, look... You're so eager for sin, you haven't demanded payment. Yes, you're an adulterous wife who takes in strangers instead of her own husband. 
Prostitutes charge for their services, but not you. You give gifts to your lovers, bribing them to come and have sex with you. So you're the opposite of other prostitutes. You pay your lovers instead of them paying you. What God's telling us is the sin that you're doing, you think is supposed to help you, is just making a mess out of you. And it's wrecking your life. And he's going, look, would you come back to me? Would you come back to me? When it comes to adultery, whether it's marital adultery, this will be a, a quick little side note for marriages as well as for our relationship with God, the parallel with our, we're the bride of Christ married to God in that covenant relationship. And then those of us that are married here, um, I've had a chance to, chance is the wrong word to use, <laughs> the awful fortune to have seen people who have had to walk through adultery kinds of things. Adultery almost never happens at once. You know what happens? It's just a little like, hey, we're just friends. We're just friends. We're just hanging. We're not doing anything wrong yet. And you're really not doing anything wrong yet. But it starts off a little bit of just mm, being a little silly and having a little fun. And it's, come on. You get confronted about, come on, Steve. I'm not sleeping with anybody. Leave me alone. And the same thing can happen. Watch the parallel here in our relationship with God. We let little things get in there. It's like not really wrong, but it's foolish and silly and unwise. And next thing you know, we go, how in the world did I get here? How in the world did I jack my whole life up by having this whole side thing going on where everybody thinks I'm okay. Everybody thinks I'm a good Christian because like I show up at church on a Saturday night. I join a small group. I give money. I do all that kind of stuff. And I got side things going on over here. Write this down. Unfaithfulness and adultery always starts small. That's for married couples today. Be careful about stuff. Be crazy careful. That's why Proverbs says over and over again, guard your heart above all else. You've got to guard your heart. And that means guard, if you don't guard your heart, pretty soon your behavior and your body is going to get you in a lot of trouble. So just be, be crazy careful. And it's not just about marriage. This is about, this is about your relationship with God. It's because the second you start to make someone or something else important to you, you'll start to justify things and excuse things. And at the beginning, you'll feel like, it's not that big a deal. Come on, Steve, relax a little bit. And you start relaxing about sin and foolishness. The next thing you know, you're totally cheating on God. You go, how did I get here? Maybe one of the questions to, to think about today is, hmm, where am I flirting with sin and evil? Am I flirting with stuff? I'm not being blatantly wrong and bad right now. I'm just kind of dancing around and flirting with some stuff. And so, again, I don't know what that is for you. And maybe you're like, no, I'm pretty good right now, so I don't want to make you go make up stuff. But we always got to watch ourselves. This is like, man, we got to watch our hearts because we're so prone. I'm telling you, I'm a pastor. I've been a Christian for a lot of years now. And I find myself over and over again, I, 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 I veer into stuff all the time going, How, what, what, what did I get over here? What am I looking at? Clicking? What, how did I get here? If you're not careful, you can get so jacked up with that kind of stuff. And in, in, in this case, this girl, we're going to call her Gogo, not Gomer, because Gomer is like a weird name for a girl, but a uh, little Gogo girl here that Jose is married to, she cheats on him, and it's the idea, again, that she cheats on him over and over and over again, not just one time, and she gets her act together and comes back. She gets cleaned up again and gets her life together again and then goes back over and over again. Chapter 11, you can see now how God responds to betrayal. Look at chapter 11, 
verse 7 of Hosea. My people, my bride, they're determined to desert me. They're determined to commit adultery on me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. I'm not central. I'm not exclusive. They have little side things going on all over the place here. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Admo or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. He can't let her go. This is the crazy thing about our God. How God responds to betrayal. He says, I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to let you go. Chapter 1, verse 10. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place they were told, you're not my people, it'll be said, you're children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be. The day of Jezreel, that's the name of, remember, Hosea's first son. No longer a, 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 like shame and uh. When God will again plant his people in the land, in that day you will call your brothers Ami. Remember the second kid's name? Was not Ami, it was Lo-Ami, not my people. He says, and you'll call your sisters Ruhama, which means the ones I love. Not Lo-Ruhama, I don't love. He says, that's what God's going to do. God says, I'm going to restore you. I can't let you go. I'm going to keep coming for you. You're loved, you're mine. In chapter 3, after she's cheated on him, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. I'm thinking, if I'm Hosea, I go, How did I sign up for this gig? This is crazy the stuff that's going on here. And. He buys her back and brings her back into his home again. This happens over and over again. And he keeps pleading with them. In chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, he says, Then I'll win her back once again. I'll lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I'll return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She'll give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you'll call me my husband instead of my master. He says, you just don't get this yet. He said, but it's the day coming, I'm going to restore you. Now, I don't know what happens up in heaven. Never been there. We'll be there someday in the heavenly realm. I think the angels sit around at the Starbucks up in heaven going, okay, we're not going to judge him. We're not going to question him. But we don't get that. How does God keep keep coming for them? He keeps coming after them. He's not going to let them go. And, and God's response to betrayal, you can write it down today, is ridiculous love. It's Honestly, we would look at this person and go, you're codependent, pal. Pastors, counselors, therapists would say, You've got to get that girl out of your life. She keeps cheating on you. This is dumb. This is ridiculous. And God says, I can't let her go. And the reason why he can't is because it's covenant love, not contract love. God says, I made the covenant with you. I'm never going to let you go. There's a great verse. I want you to see this. We're going to sing a song today about this. Over, uh, it's over in 2 Timothy. Turn to the right in your Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, then a bunch of ends books. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and then Timothy. 
2 Timothy chapter 2. I love this verse. This is Paul talking about a, a song they sang in their early churches back in the first century. It says this, If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. Which you go, okay, that's right, God. If I'm faithful to you, let's, let's go. If we deny him, he'll deny us. Like he says, like, if you want to walk away from me and just turn your back on me and just let me go, God says, all right, then that's your decision. I'm not going to force you to love me. But look at this. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. Your unfaithfulness does not change God's faithfulness to you. No matter how many times you jack it up, no matter how many times, this is good news. This is what the gospel is telling us. No matter how messed up you've been, no matter how many times you have betrayed God and cheated on him over and over and over again, God says, if you come back to me, I'll, I'll take you back in again. I'll restore you. And it's the kind of crazy kind of love because it, it, what's so good about this is how he responds to betrayal is transforming grace. Write that down. Because transforming grace changes, the next blank there, changes our heart, not just our behavior. Oftentimes the way of Jesus has been described like this is we need to get our act together, straighten up, God died for you, now live for him. Come on, just be good. And we think the Christian life is all about being good. If you could be good on your own, Jesus was a waste of time. You have no ability to save yourself or to live this Christian life. You cannot do it on your own. You couldn't save yourself, and you, could, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. This is what the whole Bible's about this, and here's what happens. Over in chapter 14, the very end of Hosea, as he's wrapping it up, look, he, he's, he's saying, return Israel. He's saying, come back to me. It's like he's writing a love song to this girl who's cheated on him over and over and over again. He says, look at verse 4. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. He's not saying, hey, you're going to heal yourself. You're going to get therapy. You're going to get checked. He says, I'm going to heal you of your faithlessness. You have no ability on your own to, to take care of that yourself. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. And then look at the very last uh, verse of chapter 14. He says, let those who are wise understand these things let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But those in those paths sinner stumble and fall. He says, look, you can stumble and fall, or you can return to God. And then over in Ezekiel again, a few pages to the left, Ezekiel chapter 36. After God has talked to, to, to Ezekiel about the, my people, my chosen people, whether it's the nation of Israel or now today, the modern-day church of Jesus Christ, Ezekiel 36, 22 to 27. Oh, man, I love this. Do I have time? Yes, I have time. People have oftentimes said, if you've grown up going to church, that the Old Testament was all about obey the law, keep the rules, and that's how you get right with God. God did that to say, you have no chance to do that. Romans is going to say, you don't have a chance to keep all the laws and rules. But then the New Testament comes along, it's all about grace. Guys, from the very beginning, it's been about grace. It's never been about your performance. Look what he says here. Therefore, give the people of Israel, chapter 36, verse 22, of Israel, this message from the sovereign Lord, I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were still scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is. 
the name on which you brought shame among the name uh, on the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you, before their very eyes says the Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations, and I will bring you home again to your land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. Not clean yourself up. I'm going to clean you up. Your filth will be washed away. And you'll no longer worship idols. And here it is. Look at verse 26. Mark this up your Bible. Put an emoji star highlight on this verse. And I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, the cheating heart that keeps cheating on me, and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Hebrews chapter 8. Just put up on the screen here. I'm going to read. I'm not going to turn to it. Hebrews 8 verse 10 says it this way. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I'll write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. This is what God wants to do. It's not about willpower. I've got to quit being unfaithful to God. He says, look, just maybe here's our response today. As we take this home and think, okay, this is a crazy story and it's interesting and kind of provocative and kind of sketchy. Talk about prostitution and whores at church and stuff like that. Maybe the first question, maybe the first thing we do as we take this home today is to start with an honest assessment of my relationship with God. For some of us, we get to say, am I sleeping with the enemy? Some of you aren't Christians yet. You're in the enemy and you're just out there. God goes, hey, come back home to me. I want you, I want to bring you into, I invite you into my family. I want to make you mine and solely mine. So if you're not a Christian today, we've talked about what that means to follow Jesus and commit your life to him. But the question I have for us today, for I think the majority of us are here today, we would say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a fan of God. Not am I sleeping with the enemy, but am I flirting with the enemy? Am I playing games with God a little bit? Am I just messing with stuff that I just shouldn't be messing with? Am I hiding some stuff or justifying some things, thinking, come on, what's the big deal? Maybe it's time to have an honest assessment, assessment and go, what, what am I doing here? And then what you got to do is give God access and permission to change your heart. Guys, I battled some things in my life even as a, I mean, I was a pastor. I was being paid to be good. <laughs> I was talking to people about God and Jesus and everything else, and I was struggling with some big things in my life. And at some point I go, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this battle with this thing. It keeps tripping me up over and over and over and over again. And finally I just gave him and said, God, you've got to change him from the inside out. You've got to change him. I, I can't do this anymore. And certainly I had to cooperate with that. There was a daily surrender. There was a daily dying to self and impulses and desires and keep yielding these to God. But I watched what happened over, gosh, it was probably about a year's period of time. I turned around one day and go, this is weird. That thing used to just kick my butt over and over again that I kept cheating on God going, what a joke I am. What a disaster I am. It was crazy. It was like, okay, it's still an issue there. I got to pay attention to that. But no longer is it this thing that I just can't help myself anymore. This is what God wants to do. The good news of the gospel is to change you from the inside out. And it's not about self-discipline and willpower. You have no ability to do it on your own, but you don't have to because the good news of the Jesus is he loves you like the best spouse in the world. He, he says that. He goes, look, and sin breaks my heart. It, it makes me angry <laughs> and makes me sad. But he says, I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to let you go. Because as even when you're faithless, 
Even when you have no faith, even when you jack the whole thing up, I can't deny who I am. I am going to continue coming for you. That's the message of Hosea, that we're prone to wander. We're going to sing a song today. (laughs) Even when I'm not, you're faithful. Even when I jack it up, this is the good news. You're not going to be able to do it all on your own. You give God permission to change you from the inside out. And just watch what he does. The band's going to come up right now. We'll give you a chance to respond to this. The only chance you have to change is God changes you from the inside out. So we're going to sing some songs that will help move, move this out of your heads up here into your heart and soul down here. I'm going to encourage you as we sing these songs to so go, okay, God, search me and know my heart. Am I playing games? Am I flirting with the enemy right now? I don't, I don't want to, God, so help me understand that. And then maybe it's a sitter and go, okay, God, change me. I surrender. And, and, and guys, look, the journey of Christianity, the journey of the way of Jesus is you surrender to him the first time to say, God, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I, but that surrender doesn't stop. That surrender is a continual thing. That's why here it's we're discovering and following, not discovered and followed Jesus like it's something we did way back then. It keeps going. It keeps going over and over again. And we keep doing this not because we're awesome and we're amazing and not because your small group leader is awesome and amazing because your pastor is awesome and amazing. We're a jacked up mess, all of us. We do this and we keep our eyes on Jesus in this because he is amazing. And if you get how amazing Jesus is, then the world isn't so attractive anymore. Then it's like, I'm not going to cheat on Jesus with that stuff over there. So we want your hearts to be warmed and, and love Jesus with all your heart and soul. So one of the ways we do that here is to sing to him and sing about him. We also have communion in the four corners room. It's, it's bread and juice. It's the symbols of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross and his body was broken. That's what the bread stands for. And the juice is, is, symbolizes his blood, that his blood was spilt for you. Then he went to that cross... And the most amazing, crazy thing is he didn't come to the cross and say, okay, you've apologized and you got your act together. The Bible is the most revolutionary thing. He says, before we ever turn back, turn to God, God came to us and says, I'm going to love you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your prostitution, in the midst of your unfaithfulness to me. I'm going to love you all the way. So come and receive communion today. And our prayer team is the back of the house. You may want to deal with some stuff today and go talk to somebody and just process some things with them. They're right there in that back corner back there. Go talk to them if yet stuff going on you need prayer for today. Jesus, today, <sighs> help us get it, God. Help us get that even when we're a mess, you're beautiful. And even when we cheat on you and we betray you and deny you, you, you just keep coming for us. And God, move that beyond just an intellectual knowledge in our heads. And get that down into the depths of our soul. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.